0: Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Our topic today is this idea of deliberate practice, which has shaped and formed our perspective about how to get at high performance. Deliberate practice is intentional process added to measurement that you, know, you can create measurements of what you're doing as a feedback tool, then you move on to what's the challenge level. You won't continue to work through processes. If the challenge is too difficult and it becomes discouraging or if it's too easy and you get bored. And finally, you're getting feedback from an expert in some way. I think that's the hardest one to create, you know, as an athlete, you have a coach as a, as a business person, you might have, you might have a mentor, you might have a boss, but it might not be obvious who that feedback should be coming from. And so the way that I was first introduced, to it was Malcolm Gladwell's outliers. He talks about it as the 10,000 hours rule. And that led me to a rabbit hole, which got me to Anders Erickson who developed the theory studying musicians. And we believe deeply in this framework and um, we think it can provide a tremendous value for growth in our individual lives, in our, performance lives in our relationships. But John, when I first kind of pitched this framework or this idea to you, what's your immediate response to it? I
1: think my immediate response was that it's a little bit overwhelming in that how do we put all those things together? Because there's a lot of upfront work figuring out what you want to accomplish and looking at how how you're gonna get there, to me, you know, from mental coming from the mental health perspective, it's setting goals and move towards something that we wanna improve.
0: So when I think about mental skills and mental performance, which is our bent, I guess, there are so many of them. That's what feels overwhelming to me. You know, okay, I deal with anxiousness around performance. That's one piece, but where does the anxiousness come from? Is it coming from fear of inadequacy, fear of failure, fear of taking a risk, fear of being out of my comfort zone? Like There are just a bunch of different things in that. How do we reconcile that discomfort with the bigness, the complexity of all of these moving pieces with this relatively, I mean, you said an overwhelming framework, but when we when we break it down, there are simple pieces there. How do we reconcile that complexity of challenge with all of these different areas with a simple framework, like be intentional.
1: Well, I think that goes back to the, what your focus is on and what you choose to focus your energy on. If it's outcomes, you know, that's kind of the antithesis of deliberate practice, right? Is, I don't know if that's the right word, but For sure. if your focus is on what is the outcome, what am I getting out of this? What can I put on the wall that says I've done better at this instead of, what is the process by how I'm going to improve? And if your focus is on how I'm going to improve day to day or hour to hour, it becomes a little bit more digestible in terms of that overwhelming feeling. I don't have to be elite right now. What I have to do is look at the small steps that get me toward or closer to that goal. Is that something you do in your practice with,
0: you know, with young people that you work with? In mental health, do you say, hey, like, we can't tackle all of these things? Do we just make a one-off goal?
1: Absolutely. It's true of adults too. We get to the point where we want things to be better right now. We want things to be fixed right now. And if, again, that is our perspective, that's a great perspective to have in terms of where we are going or where we want to be at some point. But if our focus is always kind of out there, then we're going to lose and we're going to miss steps along the way. It comes back to how do we make it less overwhelming? How do we make it easier to take that step forward? Because ultimately that's what we're trying to do. That's, it's interesting that you say
0: that because our business name and our, this podcast is called Eyes of Mindset. And you just said, if our eyes are always out looking at the end result, and we like that's part of the challenge of eyes up is like have focus on the big picture have focus on the deep process that is required to get all the way out to that horizon line goal yet we don't want to make that where our eyes are constantly focused or where our our hope is that this outcome will happen i think there's like there's this uh imbalance or this incongruity to people when we say kind of both of those things, it's interesting. Check out our YouTube page because yesterday I talked about exactly this idea um, with mosaic, right? Life is mosaic, meaning it's made up of really small individual pieces and any mistake in any of those individual pieces might have damaging consequences to the whole. Think about DNA. You know, if there's one mistake on someone's DNA or their genome in a chromosome, like you have a dramatically... A different outcome in life and the same can be true if your health isn't great it affects your performance if your sleep isn't great it affects your it affects your performance if your mental health is struggling in a certain area it's going to affect your performance in all areas and so we say have your eyes up keep your keep a focus on something bigger than yourself and then our, our first topic is um, let's go inward and figure some stuff out and Let's struggle through a framework that might help us grow by looking at ourself. Like, I think the thing that we say when we talk about this is draw that subconscious action into a conscious process so that we can change it. I think that that's the challenge in all of this is to say, how do we, how do we look at things that are subconscious that we do automatically and then actually change that? Cause that seems really, really difficult. So That's where deliberate practice comes in, in my mind, is to say, we do all these things subconsciously. We will continue to have subconscious actions. How do we make better actions our subconscious actions?
1: It's with intention. It's deciding what you want. And whether that's, we talk about goal setting or it's the intention or the outcome. The first part of figuring out if we can make anything better is figuring out what we want to change. And how we would recognize if it was even getting better. There's a lot of times where people come in and it might be anxiety. And I say, how'd this week go? It's like, oh, it was better week. My first question always is, what was different? Yeah. What changed? And if we can't identify what has changed, we don't have a chance to replicate that moving forward. And that's why this
0: process feels so natural in my mind. You know, this is why this framework makes so much sense because you're saying, get intentional, dig into the details about what you want to change. And then you come in the next week, you come in to the next practice, you come in to the next, um, you know, all hands meeting and you're like, oh, it was better. How do you know it was better? You have to measure it. You have to get into the details and say, I need to find a measurable tool. I need to find a measurable process that I can, dig into and say, if this gets better, I will see X. And that's what I think coaches since the beginning of time have said, we're this is how we're going to measure our progress. And they set the intention. So here's the practice plan for today. Here's what we're going to measure to see if it got better. We're going to hopefully create the appropriate challenge level and then we're going to give you feedback along the way. We just stop doing that when we lose mentors or coaches in our own lives. And we don't think because it's not an outward physical skill, or if it's not, um, you know, you're not in a classroom type setting, we don't think it applies any longer. But I think that's the beauty of what Erickson did in this study is he said, actually, the people that do the best self-motivate towards these four areas. They seek out feedback, they seek out appropriate challenges, challenges that are not too hard, not too easy, just right. This, this natural progression that coaches and teachers and leaders have used for forever, we ignore for some reason in our personal lives when we say, I want to improve my relationship with my spouse. I want to improve my relationship with my child. I want to improve my mental health, the anxiousness that I'm feeling around these tasks that I'm doing on a day-to-day basis, my feeling of compulsion to own and be perfect in everything, you can take the same steps. We just ignore them because let's be honest, it's hard. It's not an easy process.
1: And I think the other thing that people get caught up with this process, I think that is, has been a challenge for us in working with teams and individuals is the specific part of this process. It's when we start to break it down and get very specific. I think that's where, again, in working with some of these teams and athletes, it's get more specific instead of just saying, I want to be better at putting if I'm a golfer. That's great, but it's going to be hard to measure unless you get more specific. They may actually be making progress toward the thing that they want to improve, but they don't know it because it's not specific enough
0: one of the things that I've experienced as a coach and an athlete and working with businesses, working with students as a teacher is we don't actually care if we're great at something. Like what we want to see is that we're growing in something because then the time that we spent working was worth it. I've had athletes that are really, really good out the gate that don't put in a lot of time that don't invest a whole lot that don't get a whole lot better. And they get bored. They get frustrated. They get irritated because they're not improving. They might still be producing at a high level on the field or on the track or whatever it might be, but they, they lose interest and then their performance suffers because they're not seeing improvement. And that is the challenge. I think is getting specific enough to see consistent improvement you know, I, I think back to this winter when we're working with, uh, you know, the small class state champion wrestling team here in Minnesota. And and we had an athlete that we asked a question to about what's your goal. And it was get, you know, like get better on my feet. Okay. (laughs) What does that mean? There's no specific measurable action that you can take in doing that. We needed to start saying, well, is it tempo on your feet? Is it shots on your feet? Is it, Uh, you know, hand placement and heavy hands, those sort of things that now we're getting the weeds of wrestling, which I love and I apologize. But that one statement is a clear example of how most of us approach goal setting. I want to do this thing better. I want to see better outcomes in this one area. When in reality, I got to break that area down into specific parts. And that's what feels overwhelming. Sometimes it's like, Oh, geez, I got to take this thing step by step by step, and it's going to be really long and slow. And yes, that may be true. But I think when we see progress in small increments, it goes pretty quickly, actually. We, we start to say, oh, this is moving, and then
1: we have an explosion at some point. Once you get into the process, and it starts out as overwhelming, but once you get into the process, then it's, it's much easier to actually see that progress. But you have to also be willing to get the feedback, reset the goal, and reorganize that. I think that's the other thing that we struggle with with goal setting is that we don't analyze it enough to the point where, hey, we need to actually change our target. I don't think this
0: is your intention right now. But again, all I see is the framework at play, right? You're going from specific intentional behaviors find a way to measure them, and then update the goal. What is updating the goal? Making sure that the challenge is appropriate. Making sure that the challenge is high. Again, this is high enough to not be bored, but low enough that we don't get discouraged. And um, this is from a book called Flow by a guy by the name of Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi. Don't try and spell that. But he con- the concept of flow, getting into the zone, And the first like qualifier for that is two to 4% above our current skill level, two to 4% challenge above our current skill level, hugely important. When we set goals, we should be setting goals that are two to 4% above our current skill level because that allows us to get into this state of flow, this state of like, we know what we're taught. Like when you say flow, when you say in the zone, people just know, that's the first prerequisite in some ways is saying the challenge is right and it's fun, it's exciting because we're making progress.
1: Well, I think that's, that's what makes this process universal. It doesn't matter if you're at the youth level and you're trying to teach your four or five-year-old how to throw a baseball or hit a golf ball or make a basket or if you're at the middle school, high school, collegiate and then you get to the elite levels. This process can be applied to all of those things. As long as you are taking into account where your current level is and trying to stretch yourself to two to 4%, like you just talked about. That might be the hard part is finding
0: a way to make something measurable enough that you can find out what 2% better is or 4% better is. And at the highest of high levels, that challenge might come from a half a percent improvement because the growth changes. You know, you can't, the, it's asymptotic in some way there's an asymptote up there where it's like i can't get any better than this and I, i'm gonna forever approach that asymptote at the highest you know like slowly 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 getting closer to my peak and that's true everywhere and then you have breakthroughs and you reset the asymptote sometimes you know like you reset the plateau and that's just awesome it's fun and how do you do that feedback you need to engage with people that have done it before you need to engage with experts that are good at it and can tell you, if you do this thing, if you make this slight change, I love playing golf with you. And, you know, another friend of ours, who's at, what is Josh at two handicap? He'd probably get mad at you for
1: calling him a two, but
0: yeah. So unless, okay, it's a plus,
1: unless there's a plus in front of that number.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he's an unbelievable golfer and he taught it for a little while. And so when I go and play with you guys, There's almost no pressure because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a bogey golfer at best. I'm on a good day, but I love going and playing with you guys because by hole four, Josh will tell me something, Hey, try this. And then I try it and it works. You're like, Oh my goodness. Or on hole seven, I've been missing putts or doing something like one of you will come and read it for me and be like, just putt three inches in front of you right now, instead of trying to put it to the hole, just get it online. And it's like, oh my goodness, you know, that was a much better putt. And that's getting feedback from people that are ahead of you in this process. So valuable. It resets the course of your thinking, the challenge resets and updates your goals. The feedback resets how to get there. And then you can go back to the beginning and say, I have better perspective. How do I get intentional again?
1: So, I think we've, we've kind of explored the different components of deliberate practice. You have more experience actually implementing this with specific sports. So what does this look like in real life? If I'm a coach out there and I want to say, hey, I want to get better at this either personally or I want my athletes to be better at this, how do I apply this? Well, I think as a coach,
0: you need to have very clear intention and sp- Specify what the intention is as frequently as possible. You know, I coach track at a school in Northern Minnesota where we had quite a bit of success. And the biggest thing we did was lay out out our practice plans, you know, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, we knew what we were intending to do every day. Now there's variance, and we were flexible with a lot of things, but we talked about why we were doing things. We made the intention very, very clear. We gave specific measurable numbers that athletes could go and try and hit so that they then were getting almost immediate feedback from a number. You know, we, as the experts were giving constant feedback. And one of the things that we did my last year there was we created journals so that they could track their progress. And that was a really powerful way to update the challenge consistently. I'll give an example of this. We had a girl who was a 238, 800 runner. And, you know, it's pretty competitive in Northern Minnesota, small town or small class track and field. But, you know, you got to be in that 220 range to make it to the state term as an individual athlete. So she's coming back as the 238. We're like, what's your goal? She's like, just beat my PR from last year. Like, okay, cool. We go indoors and she's all, she breaks it indoors. She breaks her PR indoors. Okay. So what's your next goal? She's like, I don't know. It's like one second better. Good. Like, okay, let's break this down and get to two to 4%. So now we're at 234. She breaks 234, you know, two weeks into our outdoor season. What's two to 4%? It's 228. We get, you know, 230. We get to 230, you know, early May. Now it's mid-May and we're at 228. You know, we just kept reassessing changing the goal doing this really intentional work helping her to understand your top level is way higher than you think and I think that's the challenge as coaches is to is to get athletes to believe that their outcomes are way way bigger they can have much more audacious goals than they think possible if we follow a process that makes sense. And it might make sense to some of, the coach, some of you coaches out there, and some of you might be going, what? You know, like, But if you can make it make sense to the athletes, the buy-in skyrockets, first of all, and your effort changes, your attitude and effort changes. And we as coaches always are saying, like, you can control, you know, control what you can control, attitude and effort. Well, when they understand why, that stuff is a natural byproduct. And we almost never focus on the outcome of being in the state tournament or winning a state championship. We just focus on can I grow my personal best this week so that when I get on the track, I have a chance to go out and break a PR? In looking at how we've done this with athletes, one might imagine how you could do it with a team, with a business team or employees. It might be harder to understand how we do this in our personal lives. What are some personal goals that you've? use deliberate practice to help you meet?
1: A couple of ways that I've included this process into my personal life are around reading and movement. I I do a lot of work at a desk, so I sit a lot. So I wanted to make sure I was getting out and moving a certain amount of steps. And then the other part of it was reading. I don't naturally read a lot of books. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I take information in from other places, but there's a ton of great books out there and I wanted to be intentional about learning from some of these great authors. So I identified what I wanted to do and, and it still felt a little bit overwhelming until I started to break it down into the, in this process of 36 books in my, in a year was my goal it's three books a month. And then I broke it down even further into how many pages per day do I need to read based on an average book. And that felt much more manageable to me because it felt like I could take that amount of time, 10 or 15 minutes a day. And then by the time I started to do that, and I started to complete books, then I was able, it just, the momentum kept building. How I was measuring that, I have a spreadsheet, you know, so every day it takes a little bit of work up front to set up kind of the intention and the goal, right? But Every day it takes me 30 seconds to put in how many steps I got in in that day and how many pages I read. And so every day I interact with that and say, yes, I made my goal today or no, I didn't. And then the next step is that I have a place where I document how many books I'm reading and I get to review them. It's an app I use on my phone. And again, it's it's not as overwhelming once you start to break it down into those bite-sized pieces. I think that's
0: such a good piece of advice for everyone. You know, I want to do this thing, but I'll never be able to. It's way too hard. It's overwhelming. No, like pick, pick a big goal, start to reduce it. 36 books in a year. That feels like a lot. If I had told you that you read 36 books in a year, two years ago, you laughed at me for sure. Like, but now it seems manageable because it's broken down into small pieces and it's awesome. So those are pieces that contribute to this, but it's not the whole. It goes back to this idea of life, performance, all this stuff being interconnected. And, you know, our athletes' performance, our personal lives, you know, our relationships. We're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. We have a long way to go in improving when we challenge our athletes, when we challenge our employees, when we challenge our teams to look deeply at the things that they struggle with, we have to be prepared for the reality that they might need somebody to lean on there also. And I think that's so important. We have to be the support system in some ways to allow them to trust us to walk through that process of identifying areas that they might not like about themselves a
1: whole lot. I think just this conversation demonstrates why we love this framework because one it can be applied to every area of our life two it can be as surface level or as deep as you want it to go it it can be this
0: example i just gave our track program you know it can be yep. this example how do i improve the employees in my business and if you begin to learn how to do this in one area because life is interconnected you're going to see it leak into every area of your life is powerful. That's the one thing I think we can leave this with is when you sign up for deliberate practice, it will change you and not just the part of you that you think you're going to change. And I hope there's a better understanding of what it means when we say deliberate practice.
1: Thanks for joining us in our discussion about deliberate practice. Please feel free to rate, subscribe, but most of all, if you found value, share this podcast with somebody who might also find it useful find us on social media eyes up mindset eyesupmindset.com on facebook and on instagram or eyes up mindset and as always live eyes up